holding pocket. It's time now for the chipping forecast, issued by Folding Pocket on behalf of Andrew Cotter, Eddie Pepperell and special guest Ian Carter. Hello and a very warm welcome indeed to the chipping forecast. I hope your November is going um very well indeed. Whatever you are in the world, you might be here in the UK as I am, as Ian Carter is again. You're back in the UK, aren't you, Ian? Yes, you are. I am. Yeah, you sound much more upbeat this week. I mean, the last couple of weeks you've been a little bit down in the dumps with the prospect of November, but that was that was jolly. I like that. Uh, uh, I know, but it's a, it's an act. It's entirely an act. As the microphone goes <laughs> on, and I just wasn't I wasn't prepared to put on the act the last couple of weeks, so I'm just. Um, yeah, we should bounce into it with some energy. Hey, very warm welcome indeed, uh, Chipping Forecast fans, to this latest episode. Or oh, you might be listening in the Southern Hemisphere, as Eddie is. So he's just landed in Australia for the very first time he's seeing Australia. And apparently they don't have internet in Australia. I thought they did. They certainly did every time I've been there, but it must be recent cost cutting or some sort of thing because uh, Eddie said he's unable to join us this week. I think there is a there's a thing called the time difference which makes it a little bit difficult especially when you're preparing for the first event of the the new season. Well, hang on just a second there, fellow my lad, because it's uh, it's nine o'clock in the morning. It's five past nine to be precise in the UK, so it's uh, I've already done my pilates this morning. Good, excellent. We'll another maybe get into that. Another inch taller. <laughs> another inch taller, my yes. goodness. Up to what now? Uh, <laughs> four foot three. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so, yeah, no, but it's only 10 hours ahead, 11 hours at most. I don't know what it is at the moment, but um, so, you know, it's seven o'clock in the evening. Is that past his bedtime? On a Tuesday, he's only got to get ready for a pro-am playing with three Chinese businessmen tomorrow in the Australian PGA at Royal Queensland. So I'm just questioning well, his commitment. I'll, I'll cut him some slack. I'll cut him All some right, slack. I will as well. I'll tell you what. Um, I'll tell you what. Tell um, me what, then. By the way, you know, just uh, with with a view to our scramble challenge match mm. against mm-hmm. him, and given that he's not here, um, because he has given it a lot of big talk, in Dubai last week we played a scramble over nine holes, floodlit golf, admittedly four people in our team, uh, but none of us really very good golfers. And we shot three under par gross. Really? For those nine holes on the par three course. And um, we hit every green in regulation. So I figure <laughs> that you're a very good player who is um, who is rededicated to the game, obviously going out and practicing a lot. Oliver and Mabel are helping your mental attitude towards the game as well. I'm going off for specialist short game lessons. I think that if you can get us anywhere near the green... We're going to be absolutely tickety-boo. Tickety-boo. I think our failure will come when we miss greens, I think. Um, and, yeah, anyway. I've got high hopes for the rest of this week after my lesson See, you're, tomorrow. Uh, you're energised again. Last time, you last week you were saying you hate golf after going 92, 20 points, 92. And then suddenly, um, here you are. Uh, all is wonderful in the world. Um, but, but Yeah, no, I've, I've got a winter programme lined up now. And it's going to, honestly, I'm going to be a new golfer next year. Okay, some people will have switched off already knowing that Eddie's not here this week, but we'll just get Ian to take on Eddie's role. He can, uh, Ian can forget almost everything (laughs) except for conspiracy theories. And uh, and then he can say something mildly (laughs) offensive about a foreign country or a close relative. Which will then get Eddie Right, okay. Um, Dubai Tour Champ, the DP World Tour Championship. Uh, That's what you were there for, obviously, not just to play golf with... uh, the Germans, you were you were there. I mean, it's always a fascinating week 
and it was a great finish to it in terms of Nikolai Hoygaard winning. But I just, I, it's great being on site at events. This is why, you know, you can commentate from afar. And I know it's becoming more and more than on, but when you're there, you get all the, you get the, the news on the ground, the snippets, the chat, you get, you become, you know, you become more informed about what's going on. A lot of rumours were flying around last week. We're not going to pass them on, yes. but it's just sort of, it indicates the way the golfing landscape is at the moment. Everyone's just on tenterhooks and oh, what's happening here, what's going on there. Let's face it, this should be the really quiet time of the golfing year, and yet there is just so much to to talk about, to discuss. Yes, it was a really interesting uh, tournament. Uh, Matt Wallace's 60 on the, the Saturday, Hoygaard's uh, 64 with five birdies in a row, uh, the way it all shook down with the PGA Tour cards, and yet bubbling under it all were just conversations that were going on all over the place. What's men's professional golf going to look like? In the future. And I mean, we've been talking about it forever, it feels like, but you just sense that there is such a an era of flux going on at the moment. So many different conversations. You see Jay Monaghan walking around the DP World Tour Championship and you just think, my goodness me, how much has this game changed? How, you know, I, and one of the, the, I'm going off on a, on a tangent here, Andrew, but the... Mm. Just the feeling of that tournament, every year it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And I remember when I first went there, it was the 15th year in Dubai. When I first went there, I got into a, a, a bit of trouble for a piece that I wrote about how the place smelt of sewage and it was a building site and it wasn't really much of a spectacle. Well, now, it, whatever you think of the UAE or, or, or you know that part of, of the world, it is Absolutely magnificent the way that, that that tournament is set up. 50 players, huge money, obviously. All 50 eligible players turned up, which I thought spoke volumes for the DP World Tour and a really good competition in a fantastic setting. Um, and I have to say, you know, I spent a fortnight in in Dubai and I, I was made to feel very, very welcome everywhere I went. And we didn't just kind of go to golfy places we, we we were on holiday for a bit saw some really interesting stuff there as well so um you know this is not a paid ad by any stretch of the imagination but just they've say got, they've got to it you. was they've got to you it was it was a really good trip and and as i say i you know i've i've gone off on various tangents there but the overriding thing is just what a fascinating place we're in with the world of golf and how it's going to shake down in the future. I'll tell you what else was fascinating. Watching Nikolai Hoegel winning, I mean, even with that missed putt on the last, he, he, he played so well coming down the stretch. So he's up to 50th in the world. But the fascinating contrast, well, a couple of fascinating things. The contrast with the twins, mm. because Nikolai Hoegel is just, and this is this is just an interesting study of twins, you know, identical twins and and you know, competing in, in, in sport and essentially doing all the, the sort of same things um, in terms of their dedication and their craft. And then one has played the Ryder Cup and has just won this and is into the top 50 in the world. And then Erasmus, he's, he's, he's doing fantastic stuff, Erasmus Hoygo. I mean, he's still a huge talent, but he's just a fraction behind and he just missed out on getting one of the 10... Uh, PGA Tour card, so he won't be there with Nikolai Hoygo next year in America. So I, I find that a very, very interesting story to follow. Now, that's not to say because, you know, careers do not follow an even path that Erasmus might end up being the more successful player or who knows what will happen, but it's going to be very, very interesting watching the two of them over the next next few years. 
It is, and the contrast in emotions that Nikolai was feeling inside at the end was was palpable. I, I spoke to him on the 18th green as he was clutching the trophy, and he'd won $3 million for winning that. He'd won $1.2 million for finishing second in the race to Dubai. 22 years of age. This is just seven weeks after making his Ryder Cup debut. Life could not be any better for Nikolai Hoygar as the golfer. And yet his thoughts were with his brother, who came so close, so close. He was in 10th place for a PGA Tour card going into the tournament. He was doing enough to maintain that position. And then coming to the last hole, found the water with his second shot when he desperately needed a birdie. And at the same time, Mathieu Pavon of France was reeling off four birdies in a row to finish his round and leapfrog him and take the PGA Tour card. And I know that Eddie was, you know, very critical of the policy of the the DP World Tour to just give away their 10 best players who aren't already eligible for the for the PGA Tour. And I I kind of have this feeling that maybe 10 is too many, but there's no denying that that was one of the main sources of of narrative last week that really provided a fantastic sporting uh, entity to to what could have been a, like a bit of an exhibition because otherwise there wouldn't have been much on it. Rory had already won the race to Dubai, and it does feel like promotion and relegation, whatever, whichever way you you, you cut that cake. Yeah, listen to us doing serious golf chats. Here's the thing: without Eddie, again, one of us is going to have to just. Yeah. Well, I'll. I'll uh, my dad once robbed a jewelry store there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, he didn't actually. He's a good have man. to apologise to him next week. Good man, Tom Cotter. Well done. Yeah, no, it was. It was, it was not. It was a hardware store. Um, so, uh, so all the players off to the PGA Tour. You mentioned Mathieu Pavon getting in there. You know, and the joy that he felt for that. He moved above Hisatsuni and uh, Rasmus Hoiger. Hisatsuni, the Japanese player, he got the tenth place. So Rasmus Hoiger missing out. So just a list of the players. And again, I mean, I suppose I saw Luke Donald talking about it. You know, he's saying, well, players have always wanted, gravitated towards America to to take that next step in their career. That's just a fact. And now it's just a very formal thing. I think the fact that it looks formal with a PGA Tour logo on the standings, on the rankings next to these players' names as if, you know, that's the the promised land and now they're heading off to the, the top division. That's what makes it look, it's just, uh, it's optics, isn't it? But you've got um, Nikolai Hoygoy, you've got Adrian Maronk, Torbjorn Olison, you know, he's come back well. Bob McIntyre is off. Uh, Ryan Fox, Victor Perez, Minwoo Lee, Sami Valamaki, Alexander Bjork, and Mathieu Pavel. So again, it's it's a it is a shame. Now they they were very keen to talk about it being they've got dual cards, but you know where they're going to base themselves. I know Bob McIntyre is going to base himself in Orlando, and and you know it's a long way from Auburn to Orlando, but it's now uh, <laughs> that, that'll be very interesting to watch how someone like like Bob you know adapts to it. It's as much about adapting to American life as anything else. It is, and and Bob loves Oban, and you know I was spent a little bit of time with him last last week, and you know he'd been to South Africa, he was now in in Dubai, and the weather has been hot in both of those places, and he he actually said at one point, I just can't wait to get back into the cold weather, and I felt a bit like that. I must admit, I I I was really looking forward to seeing clouds and having a bit of drizzle in the air, which sounds yes. mad, but no, it's not mad. It's I, not I you know I remember I remember covering the Rugby World Cup in Japan. Johannesburg in 1995 and the same weather every day 70 degrees clear blue sky no wind it drove me up the wall I, exactly. I'm, I'm going off on so many tangents here but um but how Bob 
you know, open to Orlando, as you say, it's a it's a massive contrast. It I've always felt one of the great things about Bob's career is that he's done it from Oban. He's not even sort of said, right, well, I'm I'm going to I'm going to move out of Oban and I'm going to have a flat in in Glasgow because it's so much easier for the for the airport or whatever. So Oban is so difficult to get to. <laughs> yeah. And you, so you're adding on at least 3 to 4 hours to every other journey that anyone else is making to play the amateur circuit or to start when you start out on the European tour. And and I think that's a fantastic leveller for him in terms of home is where the heart is and that is a, a really important thing to being a grounded individual. But also it speaks to a level of dedication to your golf that you are prepared to put those extra journeys in to still be able to commit to get good enough to be ultimately a PGA Tour player. Did you see him shinty style finishing off the keep you up challenge? Yeah, that was that, brilliant. That was a good one. That was a really good one. And a very simple one. You know, yeah. that's the thing. Some of the ideas, simple idea, but it was just, and it was including the G4D golfers all the way along. Yeah. I don't know, one of them flung it really high up in the air just to be just to be <laughs> difficult, I think. And then somebody nearly lost it. I couldn't identify it. I was going to talk about Danish golf, but I don't know why. But uh, I remember you <laughs> see in the scorer's hut where it was the big, big papa bear of Danish golf. That's what I call him, big papa bear. Thomas Bjorn yeah. coming in because he's a real mentor for the Hoi gods, you know, and he's got the congratulations yeah. and the commiserations. Yeah. I think about Danish golf, like who before Thomas Bjorn was? I couldn't think of any. I mean, Steen Tinning was around about the same age as mm. Thomas Bjorn, perhaps even a bit older, but he was a, he was almost a later developer because Bjorn won very young in the 96 yes. Gulfstream World Invitational. And so was in the world? See, he, was, he was a star on the Challenge Tour before he was that. A Ryder Cup player in 1997. Yeah, so, so but, but you know, I think he... You know, he broke open the door for, for for Danish golfers to believe they could do it on the men's side of things. And, you know, now Scandinavian, Danish golf, Swedish golf, there's another great wave of players coming from Sweden. We'll talk about Ludwig Obert in a minute. But, um, I, you know, yeah. it's incredible. When I looked at the qualifying Q school as well, there was three good Danish players coming through in the top 20, I think, there. And, no, no, no Scots I could see there. So it's uh, it's very interesting that they're getting something very right over there. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think it's that that Scandinavian kind of attitude towards golf, where there's been so much success, essentially from from Sweden. But I, I would imagine that the success of the the early Swedes, the Jesper Parnoviks, and and those kind of guys would have inspired someone like Thomas Bjorn, who's then inspired Danes. Um, and now you've got this situation where, yeah, I mean, there's a fantastic social media picture of all the Danes out having their celebratory meal with Nikolai and their commiseration meal with Rasmus simultaneously on Sunday night in Dubai. Oh, there we are. Anyway, I still I'm I'm going to follow Rasmus now and just watch him watch him rise up the rankings. So. Andrew, have you ever um, in your oh God, in what? your journalistic career have you ever asked a question in a press conference or in, just in an in an interview that has just been completely the wrong question to ask? Are you asking on behalf of a friend, Ian, who asked no, this in Dubai? No, a no, friend. no. It's not. I'm I'm relieved to say it's not me for once. Oh right, okay. I mean, I've had I've had a couple of embarrassing ones in my. In my time, I remember once being put off at the French Open tennis uh, by the fact that you had to identify yourself. And I'd got a question in my head, but by the time this was Greg Rosetsky, and by the time I got to actually asking the question, I'd forgotten what the question was because I'd had to say, Hi, uh, Ian Carter, BBC. Um, uh, and then I went, oh, 
Oh, I can't remember what I was going to ask. So that was my most embarrassing one. Well, that wouldn't have mattered. It was Greg Rosetsky, so it was Greg would have waffled on for five minutes anyway on every topic under the sun. So I love you, Greg. Have you had ever? I remember Richie Dixon, the Scottish rugby coach, ending an interview with me because Scotland had just lost 68-10 to South Africa in 1997. Mm. Anyway, and uh, I think he'd had enough. Nice guy as well, but I think... you know, I think <laughs> anyway, yeah. So I, I can't, I've never, never humiliated myself by asking a silly question. I don't think, well, possibly I have. Yeah. No names, no pack drill. One of the great uh, re- international reporters in, in golf had a horrible moment in Nikolai's news conference on, on Sunday night. Oh, no. When he said, well, I mean, it's fantastic, isn't it, that, that, that you've won and, and, and Rasmus getting onto the PGA Tour as well. How oh. do you feel about that? Oh. And then there was sort of this horrible sort of moment, and um, uh, and then it was explained to him. That if you read the if you read the the transcript of the press conference, it then goes. So how disappointing is? It? Oh, <laughs> all corrected in the transcript. Exactly. Um, oh dear. It's easily done. Well, it is easily done, but I've seen a couple of Wimbledon where people have said, you know, um, you know, great win for you. <laughs> Um, anyway, so there we are. Good work. We are rambling a little bit. Joost Lauten lost three clubs up a tree. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Did he just walk off at the end? I see he just sort of, he just gave up and just... He was laughing about it, wasn't he? It's brilliant footage. If you've not seen it on social media, d- dig it out. So he he tossed oh. his driver up into the branches of the tree. He was four over at the time. Uh, frustrated. Think. And the driver stuck up there. So he threw a couple more clubs up to try and dislodge the driver, which wasn't the cleverest thing to do, was it? And they got lodged up there. And it, it was all very jolly. The caddy was trying to shake the tree. There were scoring marshals there, shaking at the branches, trying to get the, the clubs dislodged. But they would not move. It just wouldn't happen. And so in the end, he, he then, having been very jolly, suddenly did not see the funny side, kicked his bag. Yeah very, very hard. There were the bleeps come out then and then he stalked off. But mm. as I understand it, they did manage to get the clubs down and and get them to him uh, for the rest of his back nine. Yeah. But oh, I love it. Then he came into a press conference and someone said, great round today, seven under par. How do you feel? <laughs> um, Eddie, I messaged Eddie saying, how's ours? And he's just replied, it's oh. pretty rainy actually. Exclamation mark. Oh, exclamation mark. Humour killers. Managing to stay awake currently, but a bit worried about the jet lag. And then he goes on to apologise again for not making this week's. But the next two, he'll try and make sure he's around. So we'll hold oh, him to that's that. that's good. And have a good one. Well, it's a bit late. We're, we're struggling at the moment, Eddie. So <laughs> it's a bit late for your good wishes in this pod. So we talk TGL delayed quickly, just about... Um, yeah. Because we've been talking... What, what are they going to do? Boston Common? They're just going to be hanging around the Common for an, another year or so. I know. That, that, that elm tree where they hung everybody. Hanged oh. everybody. <laughs> um, so that's it's uh, delayed TGL. What? Is, uh, so this is terrible. What? Tech infused golf league. Right. Okay. Gibberish. Um, so the roof of the venue in Florida collapsed. The venue basically collapsed. This high tech venue. So thankfully nobody nobody hurt. I don't think. Uh, so as I, I first saw this in Golf Digest online. The Golf Digest online. Golf Digest, the August journal that used to be a magazine and now is very online. It's now very sort of clickbaity, Golf Digest. So I wasn't sure about the sort of truth of this story, but it's been confirmed. But anyway, if you click on any story on Golf Digest, you'll get the story. But then at the bottom of the page, all sorts of stories about Paige Spirinak uh, appear. 
Apparently her sexiest ever shots. Then for some reason also there's a picture of Carol Kirkwood with below it saying, she's been married to him all along. Another caption, <laughs> she is married to the richest woman in the world. Then just below that, a photo of Fiona Bruce. Fiona Bruce and her partner are always seen together. And another line, Fiona Bruce married to the richest woman in the world. So if this what? is true, Carol Kirkwood and Fiona Bruce are both married to the richest woman in the world, which I, I, I think I would have known about that story. It's anyway, nonsense. the richest woman in the world is Francoise Betancourt Myers, the granddaughter of the founder of L'Oreal. And her husband is called Jean-Pierre Myers. So um, I'm not quite are sure. Are you making that up? No, that's all true. That's all true. But, not, but the bit about Carol Kirkwood and Fiona Bruce... So you're not making it up? I'm not making that up. No, no, you go on Golf Tide. You go on any website that's very clickbaity and you'll get stories at the bottom saying, you won't believe what they look like now. Or the photographer was shocked when he looked at, I don't know, through his lens and saw Carol Kirkwood and the richest woman in the world. Anyway, so that's where I first saw the story of the TGL um, venue collapse. So that's quite a big thing, though, delaying it for a, for a year, isn't it? When they you know put so much into it. Yes, I think that the big issue here was not that it's going to take a year to repair, but because they were on such a tight schedule, this was supposed to start running in January through to to April and have the whole season done. But you're trying to marry in the schedules of the world's best golfers into this, and that is going to be very, very difficult. I think that is what, what sunk it. But then someone else made the point to me, this was a power outage that that caused it to collapse. So what would happen if you were in the middle of a competition with crowds in there and there was a power outage? Because yeah, the great, pictures look very content. dramatic. So, uh, yeah, there are a lot of, it, lot of issues here and it just adds into the mix of of the uncertainty about the future of, of men's golf because we we discussed it with, with Eddie and, and he kind of agreed that, the teams that are being formed for TGL could form the basis of some kind of team format that comes together with Live if the talks eventually come to fruition with the Saudi Arabian uh, Public Investment Fund. Mm. And we're now missing out on what would have been a very worthwhile, I think, experiment, if nothing else, to see whether people would be into team golf, albeit in this sort of indoor kind of venue. Um, and that's that's all gone. John Rahm's pulled out of it. And you just wonder what other players are going to think about that now, because 2025 schedule, we expect, is going to be completely different to what it what 2024 is so how do they how do they plan for this it's it's a really difficult situation i think you know what we need to do is step into the vacuum in january and create our own youtube channel and that mm. can be people's entertainment on the off season is just mind you there are enough golf youtube channels around aren't there um i was looking at i spent a lot of time because you sent me a story about jimmy bullard getting banned from sunningdale in the Daily yes. Mirror reported that he got banned from Sunningdale for um, hitting off the top of a beer bottle on the first hole. Um, and he had mentioned this on Stephen Hendry's YouTube channel called Q-Tips, uh, which is over 200,000 subscribers. And Jimmy Bullard's, and it was reported that he'd done this in Sunningdale, which he, he, he said that he had. Hmm. Um, but then the picture they showed in the Mirror, 
because I got quite analytical about this and quite forensic. And um, they showed a picture of him hit a video of him hitting off a, a beer bottle, and but that video, so it doesn't. I don't recognise that hole in Sunningdale. Um, and then I asked Tim Henman, um, not in a press conference like Greg Rosetsky, I asked Tim Henman, I said, um, what hole's that? That's Do you remember the question? I remember the question after introducing myself. Andrew Cotter, chipping forecast. I've got a, I'm just curious, uh, Tim. I said, what hole's that? He said, that's not something that you can tell by the tee markers. So anyway, that was, I found out that it was at the Shire in a golf day for James Madison, the footballer. Was he, he was a... Yes, yeah. Was yeah. he at Leicester? Was he uh, one of you guys? Tottenham Hotspur. He was at Leicester, yeah. He was a brilliant footballer, yeah. Mm. And now now he's injured at the moment. The Shire's an interesting one. Seve, that was Seve's first golf course design, certainly in the UK. So I think it's six par threes, six par fours, six par fives. Like, where is the Shire? I don't know the Shire. Just north of London. It's sort of at noon on the uh, on the M25 right. in that area. The Shire, it's Hobbiton. That's where the Shire. Yeah, he did. He did. Seve did Westerwood in Cumbernauld. Is it Westerwood in Cumbernauld? Mm-hmm. I think he, that was one of his very yes. early ones as well. Yeah. So anyway, but I was I was thinking about YouTube golf YouTube channels because they are very very successful and and Jimmy Bullard has uh, a very good. I mean, it is very good. And Jimmy Bullard's a very very engaging character. Actually, that's why he's he he just he's he good player. He's a very good player. So every shot they hit on the channel is good. This Trackman top tracer. Boom, you, you see it. And he does, he does stripe it. I mean, he plays off scratch, plus one, plus two, whatever. He's, you know, he's around about there. The new handicap system, plus eight, I think. He's, but he, he does, <laughs> he does rip it. And he's, he's with them. Um, so it's called Tubes and Ange Golf Life or something like that. Uh, but it's Tubes from um, Soccer AM, if you remember. Oh yeah. Right? So he sort of co-hosts it with Jimmy Bullard, and Bullard plays with various people, and they go around all the nice courses. Do you think this is something we should be doing? No, because I don't like being in vision. Uh, you could you could be the Jimmy Bullard style um, chirpy geezer. No, I could, I'm not good enough. But I don't like. Maybe I could just chirpy hold the camera. Geezer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've never thought of you as a chirpy geezer. No, <laughs> Eddie's the chirpy geezer, but he's he's actually got a career playing golf. So I don't think he'd yeah. want to to be making you know, a YouTube channel. TCF is 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 happening though. Number of people in in Dubai who said how much they enjoyed listening to us. So hello everybody in Dubai. Until this episode, when I was at the airport yesterday coming home, there was a chap in front who'd got um, an extraordinary full length tattoo on his left arm. Right. Brilliant artwork. It was really you know some fantastic artwork. And then just at the bottom on his on his wrist, I noticed he'd got three letters uh-huh. T C and F. Yeah, uh- and I was like. God, Why didn't you ask him what it was? What it was for? I mean, obviously, it's clearly not for the chipping forecast, unless he's a hardcore uh, Pepperell yeah. devotee. It might have been Ron Pepperell. Could have been. Um, okay, let's move on. We're, we're, we're trying to um, cut these pods down in duration a little bit. Yes. So on. McElroy resigned from the PGA Tour policy board. You mentioned that Jordan Spieth, I think, is in. in yes. Play. I mean, that's a lot of people again saying, "Oh, what, oh, what's going on? Where's he off to? What's happening? What sort of fight?" But I think there comes a time when McElroy. He's done it in so many things. Like his social media, he used to do his social media. You know, a good few years ago now, like Andy Murray would do his own social media. McElroy gets too wrapped up in honest answers or getting involved in back and forth. So anyway, he shut, shut that down. Other people do his social media accounts now. He's got to just, and this is kind of like when you're in, as he said, six or seven hour meetings on the PGA Tour policy board and you've got a family and you're trying to do other business ventures, which he's starting because he's a very wealthy man. Something has to give, as he said. But the thing which must be a priority for him is playing golf. 
And, you know, it's uh, it's funny having all these extracurricular things and you've just got to quieten down the noise. I know a lot of it just comes with being successful. You get a lot of things coming your way and you get asked a lot of things and, and you have to give answers and he can't help himself but give truthful answers. But you really have to shut things down and say, right, I'm first and foremost, I'm a golfer and that's what I'm going to focus on if I've got to, you know, I want to win majors again. I push back on that. I think that in the period that he has been right at the forefront of all that's been going on in the game. He's been very good. He's been very good. I don't think it's had an adverse effect on his golf game. I, I think it's calmed his mind in many respects for the competition. And yes, he's not won, he's not won the majors, but no one's contended for more majors than him over the last three years. I would suggest. Do you think it's just he's fed? He's he's been a bit cross with what's I happened. I think he's fed up. He gave me all those answers about something had to give, and it's all very plausible. But prior to June the sixth. He was shaping everything with Tiger Woods. They were bringing together the meeting, like the Delaware meeting, when they got all the big names into the room and they came up with the idea of the designated events, which are now the signature events, and they came up with the plan to to fight off Liv. And they didn't know that in the background there were negotiations going on with Saudi Arabia. And he said it, I feel like a sacrificial lamb. And he said that on June the 7th after the announcement. And I think it's been completely different ever since then in terms of his, he's not he's not spoken out for, on behalf of the tour in the way that he was beforehand. Yes, he's had a go at live and he always will do. He doesn't like it and he doesn't like Greg Norman. But he knew that he wasn't going to be that figure who would shape everything. And furthermore, if a player is going to be the player who is going to shape everything, it's not going to be Rory McIlroy, it's going to be Tiger Woods. And, you know, McElroy made the point a couple of weeks ago that he wants everything to come together in terms of the framework agreement, bring the game together, doesn't want it to be fractured going forward. We know that there are outside investors coming in who are not Saudi Arabia. We know that the tours want to still do a deal with Saudi Arabia. But at no point ever in his career has Tiger Woods said anything supportive of Saudi Arabia. And I wonder whether there is... a schism might not be the right word, but a difference of opinion between McElroy and Woods on that very, very important issue for golf as to what role Saudi Arabia will play going forward. And I think that McElroy probably just reached a point, he'd just done a board meeting on Monday that went on for hours. He's doing it from Dubai time. I think he just thought, I've, I've had enough of this and I can't I can't have the, the amount of influence that I want. I think it's interesting that it's Jordan Spieth who's taken over for the rest of his tenure because there's another year on that tenure on the, the policy board as McElroy walks away. Hmm, said Andrew. Um, Don't get me wrong, that is pure speculation on my on my behalf. That sounds like qualified speculation. But it, yeah, it is, it, it is qualified and it, it, it tallies with an awful lot of the conversations that I was hearing and part of last week with people who were, who were discussing some informed, others not informed, but everyone is discussing which way this thing is going to go. Yeah, see, that's why you've been in Dubai, you've been picking up these snippets, you've been ear to, ear to the ground. It's- you know, it's vital. I'll tell you something else, um, just changing the subject slightly, Andrew, from, from last week. Um, we're, we're going to put together a programme looking back on the Ryder and Solheim Cups. And I spoke to every single one of the players who was in Rome for the Ryder Cup last week. 
And boy, they are they just love talking about it. They love talking and remembering everything that happened in that very special week in, in Rome. And that's, I think, something that we've all got to to keep clinging on to because that's the kind of thing that's really important for, for golf events like the Ryder Cup, the big name events. While all this scrambling is going on for money here and money there and what the sh- schedule's going to look like, those crown jewels are just so important. I could not agree more. And I be- and I see all the events that are happening, whether it's the Netflix Cup or the TGL or, or Live or whatever it is. And I see all this and I just think, I just, I just focus more and more on the big special events, the majors, the Ryder Cup, Solheim Cup, whatever it might be. And 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 all the money that's swimming around in golf. And I saw Frank Nobolo's quotes got a bit of traction as well about how it is this bubble. We talked about this weeks and weeks ago about um <laughs> the uh, tulip mania in the 17th century in Netherlands. Because it is, it's this, it's this this bizarre bubble where it, and I d I don't know if the golfers genuinely believe they are worth this kind of money, but but something you know, to quote, to paraphrase, to lift Rory McIlroy's quote, something's got to give in that as well, because there was a, a good article from Jamie Corrigan, who's always very good on this, and, and he was quoting a source who said this, the trouble with that more and more approach is the prize money. With $20 million purses and other incentives featuring $10 million bonuses or whatever, they're unsustainable in the long run. The US venture capitalists will demand a return on their investment but at the moment, the golfers are getting paid NFL wages without producing anything like NFL ratings. So it's a it's a weird world, golf world. It is fascinating. I'm talking about the professional golf world, and it becomes more and more detached from what we know and love about golf. You know, I can see the sun shining just now. I'm actually going to go out this afternoon, and I'm going to hit some golf balls again, and I'm going to try and sort some things out and hit just catch that catch that ball, hit have that swing that you think, ah, oh, got that there, and that's. That's the sort of beauty of golf for for us, for most of us. We've got a personal relationship with golf, but professional golf just has become untethered and floats away off up into the clouds, and it becomes more and more detached from. It, it, we can't really relate to it anymore. It's it's interesting to watch as detached observers, but my goodness, it's bizarre at the moment. And it floats up to those clouds on a bubble that could burst at any moment. Yeah. I, th- I mean, it must do, if not burst, deflate, I'd, because it cannot continue as it is. And, uh, you know, because people, as that quote says, whether it's US venture capitalists or PIF, they will re- demand something in return for their investment. I saw, I saw Brooks Kepka, sorry, his Instagram thing saying, or a bit of a sarky comment saying, I'd like to like to know the schedule for next year, please, you know, because they've been a bit uncertain. They don't know their live schedule exactly. And that was quickly deleted. Because that money that he's getting paid comes with certain demands and strictures. And we'll tell you when the schedule's ready and you dance to our tune now. Totally. And uh, that just shows that there isn't that freedom that a PGA Tour player has at the moment or a DP World Tour player. So Eddie could say what he said three weeks ago on the the chipping (laughs) forecast and he got a rap on on the knuckles, but he could say it Mm. nonetheless. And... If you're a live player and you've signed that contract, you have to dance to their tune. You are an employee of them, as we saw with with Richard Bland's um, message, <laughs> video message saying how excited he is to oh. to be re-signed with the cliques. I do want to talk about that. Do you see that? Uh, this, so he, and, and a few people did comment that it, it did look like he was being held against his will and forced to say this message. It didn't. I mean, you know, I, again. Good luck to Richard Bland because in the, oh, totally. in the the end days of his sort of 
career as a, you know, he, he had a sort of wonderful couple of seasons where he found form in his late 40s and then got this live deal. And so he's kind of going to know. But I saw the, the cliques, um, they posted, said, who's ready for some more blandemonium? Without any hint of irony, I don't think anybody's ready for blandemonium. Is blandemonium a thing? But anyway, so, and then it was the, it was the most sort of downbeat delivery for, I said, I'm really excited to be signing again for cliques. And can you name who's on the cliques? Can you name the cliques? Martin Keimer, and then they've got two vacancies, isn't it? Have they got, uh, so, hang on a second. So Martin Keimer is the captain, so he was free from relegation, despite the fact that he finished in the, in the relegation zone, who else would you say is on it or was on it this year? Keimer, Bland. Was Graham McDowell on it? No, he's a captain. Graham McDowell, yes, no, good. Yeah, Graham McDowell and a, 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 someone who was a great European talent and came close to winning the race to Dubai, just in fairly recent memory, continental European, Ryder Cup player. Thomas Peters? No. No. Bernd. Uh, Bernd Wiesberger. Bernd Wiesberger. Yeah. Yes, Bernd Wiesberger, of course. I know, but that's your 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 sound there says everything. Bernd Wiesberger. I think he's just 37, 38, Bernd Wiesberger. Yeah. And he, I don't know what he could be doing, but well, I know what he's doing now. He's earning lots of money. His former caddy was caddying for Matt Wallace, who shot the 60 on, on Saturday. Yeah, yeah, so, Did yeah. you see the Sport Business Journal report saying that the from 2025, the PGA Tour wants to change the funding structure of its events. So the local host organising groups are expected to contribute to covering the cost of of rising prize funds, which then brings into question this whole charitable side to the the PGA Tour because those local hosting organisations, any surplus they were building would then, that money would go into local charities. And this whole structural change Again, it speaks to they've come up with a model that they can't currently afford. And it's a terrible look as well because it's just, well, we've got to give more money to the the, the prize funds. To the people our, who need it least. To the people who need it least. It's 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 awful. It looks absolutely dreadful. And uh, again, it's just the sort of the, the sort of gross inflation of, of golf prize money. But um, and, and actually, it's having a knock-on effect. I think in terms of the money available in, in terms of golf broadcasting, they're, they're Cutting back on things, I see that yeah. NBC are having a restructure. Um, Paul Azinger, who was their lead analyst, is 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 no more. I mean, he's still around, but he's no more in terms of golf commentary. So that's a. Uh, it doesn't sound like a big th- big thing over here. It's quite a big thing in the golf world over there because it's such a people pay really close attention to who are the the hosts and the analysts on NBC and CBS are the two the the. the Two big channels that cover cover golf over there. NBC cover the Open and the US Open and the Ryder Cup, and about eight, ten PGA Tour events as well. They do the Solheim Cup, so you have a, a host who is usually a broadcaster. So uh, Dan, Dan Hicks, Hicks on, isn't it? on NBC, yeah, yeah and, and Jim Nance on CBS, and then you have your analysts who are the ex-players. So people are now going, well, who's going to fill the the Paul Azinger, uh role? Because it has to be a a, a golfer. It has to be a, a big name golfer. Yeah, I always I always thought Paul Azinger was really good. He got criticised quite heavily, I know, in the American media for his commentary at the Ryder Cup. But I've always enjoyed his. I think he's you know he's always been very 
honest and forthright in what he says, has a good, nice turn of phrase. You you must have worked with him. We did it for five or six years with him in the, on the Masters. <laughs> kind of funny, he's, he sits when you're sitting beside him and you're commentating with him, he he, he he sort of rocks back and forth a little bit. We've all got a little ticks when we commentate. And he, <laughs> I do that. I do that. I do that in the dark I do that hours. on tennis commentary. I do that in the wee small hours of the morning in the corner of the bedroom, <laughs> just on the floor. <laughs> anyway, but he rocks back and forth just going... Making little thrilling <laughs> noises, yeah, and then um, and then he goes, but he 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 quite likes his sort of homespun phrases a little bit like that. So that, but but you're right, he he's got the expertise. Isinger, I wouldn't have said he used it as much or as directly or bluntly as Johnny Miller would have used it, who was the NBC lead analyst before him. And Johnny Miller wasn't popular with a lot of players because he called it as he saw it. But Johnny Miller had been there, done it before, was an outstanding player, so he could do it. And that's the interesting thing about, um, well, it's interesting to me, about, you know, to you working in broadcasting, the demarcation of roles, which is still very clear in American sports coverage and in golf coverage, because they have that host who is the, the broadcaster, the, the sort of pure broadcaster who's supposed to be able to come up with a, a turn of phrase or word or, or, or the call for the dramatic moment. And then the analyst is the ex-player who then analyzes and explains because they've been there and done it before. So Faldo was in that role alongside Jim Nance and now it's Trevor Immelman. Whereas over here in golf, that line, those lines have become totally... Blurred. They're still very clear in things like football and rugby, where you have the lead commentator alongside the co-commentator, a sort of broadcaster, journalist, if you like, alongside the ex-player. But in golf, it it, it becomes a bit more fluid and uh, they move around a little bit more. So um, I'll be interested to see who takes over from Paul Lazinger, because there aren't many people who can who can do it because you've got to tick a few boxes. You've got a big name, someone who has probably won a major, been there, done it, played on Ryder Cups, won a major, but can also uh, talk very well and explain things very well. But then the, the crucial thing as well is that they've got to want to do it. Now, if you've been a successful player, you've probably got all the money in the world. Do you need to do it? And then, then you're looking at the reasons for doing it would be, well, I still want to be in the spotlight. I still want to be relevant. And that position does give you that sort of respect and people saying, ah, oh, you know, here's Faldo, lead commentator for CBS. And um, so yeah, I'm not sure who could who could do it. Brad Faxon? He's not won a major, but Brad Faxon I would have thought would be favourite, wouldn't yeah, he? Yeah, and he, he commented as well. We commentated at the Walker Cup and enjoyed working with him. And he's, I think he's very good. But again, and I think he would be probably first in line to to do it because he's, he's there at the moment with NBC Golf Channel. Um, I think of current players, who would you... I was thinking Jordan Spieth would be very good, but obviously he's not going to do it. But uh, you know, but, yeah, but, but well, he gives commentary anyway, doesn't yeah. he? <laughs> Shane Lowry, Shane um, Lowry, I'd quite like to. Yeah, I was wondering about him. I think he would be very good. He's very, very engaging, and again, has a nice turn of phrase. I think um, Harrington yeah. would be because <laughs> yes. you have to have a certain brevity well, as that's, well. That's the point about Harrington. I think that was the point about Monty is that Monty, you know, had a lot of things to say, but you've actually. In TV commentary, you've actually got very small windows to get your point in to then let the pictures breathe as well. So it's a very straight, you know, a particular skill. The few times that we've heard him, and obviously circumstances have changed so massively, but I just thought would have been absolutely incredible and could have just been a broadcast legend by the end of it is Mickelson. Well, the, the, so the big three that Mickelson would be the ultimate. Obviously, he's well. I'd never say never say never. Um, nothing's impossible in golf anymore. But 
uh, Tiger Woods, Rory McIlroy, Phil Mickelson would be the big three to, you know, Tiger's not going to do that. Uh, Mickelson, I think, before Liv might have gone into mm. broadcasting because I could see it feeding his his ego, if you if you want, for um, for doing that kind of thing. So um, got to think about the money they get paid as well. Now in America, they get paid an awful lot of money. You wouldn't. <laughs> You wouldn't do it in the American golfers wouldn't do it in the UK, but I I could have seen once upon a time Mickelson doing it, but obviously not not so much anymore. Luke Donald, who did a little bit for Sky, and I think you know showed himself to be a fantastic broadcaster in the course of his Ryder Cup captaincy. I am absolutely convinced that he is going to be reappointed. I think he will go for it. And I think if he were to become a Ryder Cup winning captain away from home in the United States, beating Tiger Woods, let's say, at Beth Page, then as a former world number one player, and would be an absolute Ryder Cup legend. And is we heard him on the podcast, and if you've not, not heard it a couple of weeks ago, um, just a brilliant talker now. Yeah, but you've got to act a little bit uh, in terms of putting more life into your voice when you're commentating and sometimes that is an act. Yeah, so. but you look at those social media videos. I mean that 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 video that he did taking everyone around the locker room in Marco Simone was fantastic piece of broadcasting. Uh the way that he did his his speech at the opening ceremony. Brilliant. I think he's I think he's the one. I just I I there we are. I just put those crickets in there for just just make of that what you will. I love Luke Donald. Anyway, um, let's move on quickly. We didn't talk about Ludwig Ober and his, uh, yes. his and 61 61 over the weekend. Ian, we're running long here. We're going to have to rattle through some stuff. 61 yeah. 61. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and everyone now going, hey, look at this. He's the, I mean, I saw some people saying look, the next Tiger Woods, just as people said, the next Jack Nicholas for various players. And, and there have been how many next Tiger Woods have there been? I mean, he's 24. He's not. A, he's not. You know, a teenager. Yes, not, so, but, but no, he's incredible. He's a, he's a great talent, uh, and it's amazing that he's done all that he's done in the second half of this year. Um, Cross Sierra winning their Ryder Cup, winning uh, in the states now on the PGA Tour. Twenty nine under was it? I mean, yeah, I, I, he yeah, twenty nine under. If you say, "What am I looking forward to for next year?" Then it's watching Aubert hit the ball. And here's the frustrating thing about watching Aubert because you look at his swing and you think. Jeez, golf's an easy game. Look at that. Because it's such a simple action. And you think, right, I'm going to go out this afternoon and do that. Of course you can't. But he's driving 390-yard, you know, par fours. And it's just, it's so easy from such a, what looks like a short backswing in terms of his arms. And it's just so simple. Back and through, bang. It's His driving is just, that's the thing. He's not just one of the longest, but he's one of the straightest as well. And as long as that continues, then he's always going to be in the box seat for low scores. And this is someone who's played in the Ryder Cup. He's won on the PGA Tour. He's won on the European Tour. He only turned professional in June. He's way into the world's top 50. He's now eligible for the Masters. He's got two-year exemption on the, the PGA Tour. And he's yet to play a major. I know. He has not <laughs> played incredible. a major championship yet. That is incredible. I mean, it's 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 an extraordinary story. He is a very, very special talent. Yeah. I wouldn't say he's the next Tiger Woods, but I'd say he's easily has the potential to be the next Victor Hovland. Or McElroy, that kind um, of level, you know, four majors, five yeah, majors. I mean, 
Who knows? Yeah, but I, again, I, 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 I think McElroy had already won yeah. majors by this time. Aubert hasn't played in one yet. Yeah, but that's because he's been, you know, he's done the college golf route as well, and and, yeah. and stuck religiously totally. to that as well. So that so there is obviously a delay on his development, but. Uh, anyway, we can all speculate about how good someone's going to be. But again, you never know with golf because someone who makes it look so easy for one, two, three years can suddenly just drift away. Look at, look, I mean, look at Jordan Spieth was the, you know, just an astonishing run back in, in 2014, 15. Mm. McElroy likewise, you know, and McElroy's continued his excellence, but just not in the majors. So you never know who's going to win however many. It's just because Tiger Woods um, won so many that we think, oh my goodness, that is... That's the benchmark, and uh, who knows? Anyway, rookie, did he get given rookie of the year? Because they don't, it's not a, a firm thing. Is it done on a, a vote, the rookie of the year over there? It is, yeah. So he, I, I'm sure he'll be nominated. Um, it'll be decided in, in December. And as we said before, Eric Cole, daughter of, uh, of, of son of Laura. Oh, hang on. Laura. Hang on. Hey, Laura Board, how's your love life? Eric Cole was third. In, yeah, and 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 that means his his last what five results fourth tied thirty fifth tied third tied third tied second. Mm. So yeah, so it's um, not it's by no means a done deal for Aubert to get there. Yeah, but I think that that win yeah that does, win yeah, means Aubert gets it. Must be yeah. okay. This is Bob McIntyre. You're listening to the Chipping Forecast. Ian's best chance of breaking 90 is to try and left-handed. Let me tell you about NordVPN. So VPN, virtual private network. Is it that? Yes, I should know such a thing. Anyway, NordVPN is the, the king of them all, the queen of them all. So if you have VPN on, and again, do it through NordVPN, you can do such things as watching whatever you want, sporting events, TV shows, films that aren't available in your region by switching your virtual location to a country that does allow you to watch it. So in my case, if you want to log into SkyGo and watch caught on Dashcam when you're abroad, or the planet's funniest animals, you can do that. Or if you're uh, an MSP whose children want to watch football matches, use a VPN and you can use the hotel Wi-Fi rather than spend thousands on data. Uh, speaking of data, you can protect your private data like bank details, passwords, online identity. There are uh, NordVPN threat protection, protects you from viruses, malicious malware, not just malware, but really... Uh, malicious malware and phishing sites, PH. Uh, and it's the fastest VPN in the world. No buffering, lagging while streaming, and it stops your ISP bandwidth throttling. If you don't know what VPN is, you're not going to know about your ISP bandwidth throttling. But it's a bad thing, and it, uh, NordVPN stops that. And I would stress NordVPN is the price of a cup of coffee a month. Grande Caramel Frappuccino. That's Ian's coffee of choice. Um, at Starbucks. Uh, one NordVPN account can be used on up to six devices. And to grab a huge discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash shipping. And that code will also give you four extra months on the two-year plan. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Exclamation mark. Right, Ian, uh, what else in the world of golf just before we go? Uh, oh, yeah, well, let's talk about the Australian PGA quickly because... You know, we're talking about the, the the strange season of golf and how curious professional golf is. I would love, I actually quite quite like this time of year when you see events or events like the Australian PGA or the Australian Open get a chance to shine. I almost wish it were a bit like tennis where there were a major in Australia in January, say. Because totally. yeah, three totally. US majors, I think the imbalance of it, two in the men's side of things, to have two majors in the US 
and then you have the Open Championship and you have one in Australia which caters to um, a, a Far East time zone as well. And I just think for all that that part of the world has given to golf and just to showcase the great golf courses down there, I would love to see an Australian Open being major. Again, it's not going to happen, I don't think, but um, yeah, I, I do quite like seeing these tournaments at this time of year. There was some talk, wasn't there, of the the US PGA uh, being a roving tournament, an event that that could rove around the world, and I think that 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 would give it its its USP yeah. because it's it's ridiculous. But it's all about money, and the money isn't there. The desire to travel isn't there, and then you see, and they must be so fed up in in Australia when you see Tiger Woods having his boutique tournament in the Bahamas. Yeah. What's that's coming up the, the week after next? Tiger obviously coming back again at that event. Th- this is a time when when golf in Australia should be shining and it should be at the very highest level. And again, going back to what we were saying about the whole coming together of the game, if this is a promotion and relegation thing that gets up to the new elevated PGA Tour, then that needs to be a global tour that takes in places like Australia, South Africa, Korea, Japan, and Europe, and those players have to find their passports. Yeah, uh, it's a good field at Royal Queensland, which is in Brisbane. Actually, I've just had a message from Eddie. Hang on a second. Because I said, because he's looking forward to seeing Australia for the first time, and I said, oh, you're going to Brisbane first. That's, you know, not the... Brisbane's fine, but it's it's not perhaps a Melbourne or a, or a Sydney. That Anyway, but uh, if people are listening in Brisbane, I, I do like Brisbane. I was there in the 2003 World Cup and enjoyed it, enjoyed it very much. Queensland is quite a state apart, though, from the rest of Australia. Greg Norman's a Queensland. Yeah, he is, yeah. Uh, I think Wayne Grady is as well from Noosa Heads or something like that. Anyway, he said, Brisbane actually really cool, mate, says Eddie, exclamation mark. When were you last here? Uh, well, I was last in Brisbane in, in 2003, but I've been to Australia pretty much every year since, but um, but I haven't been up to. So anyway, but Royal Queensland looks like a, a great course. They, they had to redevelop it with Mike Clayton in 2007, redesigning a new course because they put a... A motorway, a bridge over the Brisbane River, which went straight over the, I think, the 11th and 12th holes of the old course, which had been designed by a Scottish guy, Carnegie Clark from Carnoustie. He won the Australian Open a couple of times. Neg, they called him in Australia, Neg Clark. He won the Australian Open three times and he designed the original Royal Queensland. So the, the Australian PGA has been held in Queensland since 1999. It's always held in Queensland. 1998, it was won by David Howell. I think that was down in Sydney. Andrew Coulthard won it a couple of times. But since David Howell won it, it's it's only once been won by a non-Australian. And if you can name the non-Australian who won it in 2016, Ian, I will give you a prize of a NordVPN subscription. Um, He's got a a three in his name. (laughs) Davis Love. Yeah. Davis Varno, the, Harold Varno the third won it in the 2016. Of course he did. Yes, yes. he did. He I did. And he's, that. he's off to. Did he, go, did he go entirely to live? I lose track of who's. Yeah, he's gone. gone yeah, but he, he was one who just said, "I'm going for one thing and one thing only, and that's the money." Fair so enough. Uh, the defending champion of the Australian Open, he went to live as well. Jediah Morgan, Jebediah Springfield, relegated. Yeah, he's been relegated. He won by eleven shots. I think he has a Queensland. I think he's from Royal Queensland. I think that's his home course. He won by eleven shots last year there. Still just twenty three. Relegated from live this season. Relegated from live won almost two million dollars. Uh, anyway, also in the field this week, Cam Smith, Adam Scott, Adrian Moronk, Bob McIntyre, Min Willie. It's a great, it's That's a great, great field, yeah. right? Yeah, 
Really looking forward to it. So um, one quick thing that I found on my Australian PGA investigations. So it was held for many years at the Hyatt Coulomb Resort, the Palmer Coulomb Resort, north of Brisbane. So this took me into many, many investigations into the businessman Clive Palmer, who owned that resort, one of Australia's richest men, multi-billionaire, mostly through mining. Also seems to be a deeply odd and... um, Fairly unpleasant character, but also quite litigious as well. So I'll change that. Quite a nice guy then. He's amazing. He's an inspiration to everyone. In March this year, he sued the Australian government for 296 billion Australian dollars. One of the reasons it says that it left the Palmer Coulomb Resort, the Australian PGA, uh, was that so he bought the resort in 2011. And then he built a park featuring animatronic dinosaurs. He ordered more than 160 animatronic dinosaurs, which included an initial shipment of an 11-foot-tall, 66-foot-long T-Rex, hmm. nicknamed Jeff, nicknamed Andrew. The dinosaur park, now called Palmersaurus, was open to the public and was a bit of a failure. But again, if he's listening, it was a major success. Um, so, But his installation of dinosaurs along the side of the resort's golf course led to the Australian PGA Championship being relocated. And I think that's when it headed up to Royal Queensland. Mm. Anyway, um, any other news, Ian? Have I got any other news? I've got... Oh, I'm buying... I bought, I bought a swing shot. Oh, yes, yes, you showed <laughs> us that. On the... Oh, God, what, what am I doing? So as well as this little radar thing which I bought, which I haven't used since I failed to get it up above 107 miles an hour, so it now just sits gathering dust in my study here. But I bought a swing shirt, which also seems to be endorsed by Podrick Harrington. There's certainly a picture on the internet of him in it. But it's basically to keep the connection, keep the arms closer together. Usually I would just put a glove under the left yeah. armpit to try and keep that. But this thing, this swing shirt, will constrict me. I used to have a swing link thing back in the early mm. 90s to try and try and keep that connection. And as soon as I said to to yes. this group, the WhatsApp group for the chipping forecast. Eddie. I'm buying it. Eddie just said, don't do that. <laughs> that was all his message said. Don't do that. Anyway, there we are. I think we will end on that. Oh, I mentioned US college football coaches and what they get paid last week. There was a, a story this week. Jimbo Fisher has had a $77 million payoff to leave as coach of Texas A&M. $20 million up front and then $7 million a year for eight years after that. So there we are. Did you see the improved prize money for CME on the LPGA next year, the Tour Championship. 113, 116 for over the year. It's going up to 118 million for the year, but the winner of the CME Tour Championship next year will get $4 million. Well, there we are. Amy Yang got $2 million this week. And then the difference between winning and second place, $445,000 was what was split by uh, each to the two players that shared second place. And Amy Ann got two million. Well, it's four million next year. Uh, it's um, it's good to see. Well, the, 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 the it's good to see if there's going to be getting, getting the money. inflation but, for the men. Yeah, no. Yeah. The way it shakes down on the on the prize money could spread it a bit, couldn't they? I don't know. Okay, we've had. Um, we're going to end it there. We've had some good uh, reviews again. Possibly not after this week. Two hundred and two people on Apple Podcasts have rated it. hundred ninety seven. Five star reviews out of two hundred and two. We're like a really good vacuum cleaner on Amazon. Uh, one gave us a two star review out of five, which I quite like because it essentially says two stars out of five. You really are, <laughs> and I don't want to appear unkind. I don't want you to give up hope. I'm not going to give you a one star review. So I want to let you believe that one day you can make it to mediocrity. 
Anyway, so, and here we are. Here's, a, here's an actual written review from Dosso72. Man, it's Peter Dawson. Just a fantastic insight into the game and circus that is golf. Eddie is the real star of the pod. <laughs> so we hope you enjoyed this one, Dosso72. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see you again next week. Absolutely. Oh. Look forward to it. Bye-bye. Bye. And that completes this edition of The Chipping Forecast. Wishing you a safe and pleasant night. Holding pocket.